Lamentations chapter 3, we're back into this section of Scripture this morning, and I've entitled this morning's message, Examination in Suffering. You see, examination, self-examination, is a vital spiritual discipline in the Christian life. We might define this kind of self-examination, this kind of spiritual examination as an accurate assessment of our character, our life, and our needs in light of God's truth. That's what examination is. It's looking closely at our own lives. It's looking closely at our character. It's looking closely at our needs in light of God's truth. And this is a discipline that we all must be engaged in. In fact, in places like 2 Corinthians 13, we're encouraged to examine ourselves, to examine our our faith and the fruit of our lives to see if we're even genuine believers. We need to have an accurate assessment of our faith and the fruit produced by that faith to make sure that we are indeed in Christ. There there are many in the world today who, due to a lack of understanding and a lack of self-examination, think that they are in fact Christians when they've never truly believed in Christ. They think they're safe. They think they're fine. They think they're right with God. Even though they're living the life of their choosing, they're not living in submission to the Lordship of Christ. And just even a surface-level examination of themselves would reveal, wow, my life is not consistent with that of the Bible. That's why it's so important. There's nothing more dangerous than self-deception and false assurance of salvation. But so too, the Scriptures teach us that even as believers, those who have put our faith in Christ Jesus, we need to constantly be examining our life and our motives and our, and our hearts and the way we think and the way we live to make sure that it is in accordance with the truth. Sometimes you, you, you look at somebody's life and they're struggling and you say, boy, how did they get so far off? I mean, it's, it's evident to everybody now due to the egregious sins in their life that they're not living according to the truth. But, but how did it get to that point? Well, it got to that point because in the very beginning, when, when the differences were smaller and more subtle, there was no examination going on. And so we have a responsibility to live a life of examination to see where do we need to grow in the faith? Where, where does our life need to come under the truth of Scripture more consistently? In fact, we might even say that examination is required to experience the full benefits of Scripture in our life. It doesn't mean no good to know exactly what Scripture says if I'm not then comparing that inerrant truth to my life. If I'm not coming and saying, okay, this is what the Scriptures say, now let me look at my life. Boy, this is an area of my life where I'm really not putting that into action. You're missing out on all the benefits of Scripture if you don't go to that next level of examining your life in light of the Scripture. And then that's what James 1 is talking about, by the way. Don't just look in the mirror and walk away and do nothing. Actually look in the mirror of God's truth and see what needs to change. 
So self-examination, this spiritual examination, it is absolutely vital if you want to see spiritual fruit in your life. And this kind of examination is particularly important in the midst of suffering. You gotta get this down now. You gotta get this down now. When you get in the midst of suffering, you are gonna be tempted to look at everything else beside yourself. Look at my circumstances. I can't believe this is happening to me again. I can't believe what they've done to me. Well, they didn't do anything for me. I can't believe they didn't help me out when I was going through this. There's something about the, the, the remaining sin in our hearts that never wants to look inward, particularly in the midst of suffering. We'd be happy to blame our circumstances. We'd be happy to blame others. At times, we're even tempted to blame God, all the while ignoring what's going on in our own hearts. This is dangerous. It's dangerous for a number of reasons, but it's also dangerous because God designed your suffering to test your faith. You understand? God is sending providential suffering into your life, not necessarily to sanctify the guy next to you, but to sanctify you. And so when you are in the midst of this God-ordained affliction in your life, whatever that difficulty is, when you're in the midst of that difficulty and you're not examining yourself and, and seeing, boy, here's where God's testing me, here's where God's growing me, here's where my faith is weak and needs to be bolstered, uh, bolstered. if you're not doing that, if instead you're looking at the people around you and depending upon them for answers or blaming them for your circumstances, then you are not getting out of your suffering what God has designed. To get the most spiritual benefit from our trials, we must do the humbling work of self-examination. And we catch a glimpse of what this self-examination looks like in suffering from Lamentations chapter three, verses 40 through 51. Here the prophet calls his readers to the very kind of examination that we're talking about this morning. Look with me beginning in verse 40 at God's word. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. Now in Lamentations chapter three, the prophet has been shepherding our hearts to be ready for suffering. And in this case, in these verses, the prophet is shepherding us towards this self-examination. 
And particularly, this was important for the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day, in, in, in the time of the fall of the city of Jerusalem. You see, God's people often suffer without knowing exactly why, like Job. But the people of Jerusalem, they knew the exact cause for their suffering. They were suffering for their sin, for their spiritual apostasy. They, they were suffering because they had rejected the word of the Lord. They were under discipline from God for their disobedient sin. And so for them, that only increased the need for examination. <laughs> Prophet saying, look, here's exactly what's going on. Here's exactly what led to the fall of Jerusalem. You've got to look at your hearts and deal with this if we want to return back to the land and return back to the good graces of our covenant God. In fact, that's exactly what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we don't have to turn there this morning, but there God warned the people, look, if you turn away from me, I'm going to uproot you from the land and I'm going to decimate you and I'm not going to let you return until you turn your hearts back to me. So what's the prophet saying? The prophet's saying, look, we as a people need to examine our hearts so that we can turn back to the Lord. And certainly this was true for Israel in Jeremiah's day, and it's certainly true in our day as well. Whether you are being disciplined by the Lord for a specific sin or not, suffering requires us to examine ourselves. In fact, suffering provides us with a unique opportunity to examine ourselves. Look, there are some, time, there, there are some things in our hearts that, that have become such patterns in our life. There, there, they're, they're, they're so easy for us to fall into those patterns that it takes providential suffering to kind of squeeze those things out of our hearts so that we see them in the light of God's truth. You go through suffering and you say, boy, I didn't know that about myself and I never would have seen it otherwise. That's what God's doing. That's, that's why it's so important for us to, to engage in this spiritual discipline, especially in the midst of suffering. That's why the prophet begins by saying, let us test and examine our ways. And so that's what we're going to look at in this passage. Specifically, this morning as we work through these verses, I want you to see three elements of examination that are particularly important in suffering. Three elements of examination. I, I want you to understand what this kind of examination looks like from this text. And we find the first of these kind of explanatory elements of examination in verses 40 through 42. Here we see what we might call the nature of examination. I mean, we, we know what it is to kind of look at ourselves, but but. But at its core, at its nature, what, what does this kind of examination look like? How, how will genuine spiritual examination function in our life? Well, notice in verse 40 that this kind of examination, it seeks clarity. That, that's part of what examination is. You're, you're looking for clarity on what's going on in your life. That's what it means to, 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 to examine your heart. I want clarity on who I am. I don't want to be deceived about it. I, I need some clarity on what's going on in my heart. That's why the prophet says, let us test and examine our ways. 
The word test here, it's, it's talking about discerning what is not clear. I've got to test this to figure out what's going on. I've got to find out what's going on in my heart. I, I've got to get clarity where clarity is lacking. By the way, so many times our spiritual distress is caused by a lack of clarity. I don't know what's going on. A lot of times in, in counseling, it, it, it's really not, nobody has all the answers to say, if you just do this, your life will be great. That's not how biblical counseling works. Really, biblical counseling is just trying to help people get clarity on what's going on in their circumstances and in their heart. That's what the prophet's calling for here. You, you test what's going on in your heart. You try and figure out what's going on in your life. You test your ways, your paths, the direction of your life, the decisions that you make, the habits that you practice. Why do you do them? Why is it your habit to live this way? Why, why is this your routine? How, how does this fit in with your life? Why do you respond in a specific way when specific people say things to you? I mean, that's the kind of examination that the prophet's talking about when he says not only test your ways but examine yourself, examine them. It's interesting, the word here examine is also used in 2 Samuel 10 to refer to, to spying out the land. You spy out your heart. You investigate it. You search out what is not easily found out about yourself. That's what it means to examine. Uh, examine yourself. By the way, this is not Easy work, is it? Jeremiah chapter 17, a familiar chapter of Scripture probably to you, especially verses 9 and 10. And Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, of course, this is talking about the, the heart of an unbeliever. Through the work of the Spirit, we, we have a new heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. But that doesn't mean it's easy to understand what's going on in our heart, does it? That we have so much remaining sin that th it makes this laborious. Verse 10 goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Same language. To give every man according to his own way, according to the fruit of his deeds. Look, we know that the Lord is the only one who's going to be able to perfectly know our hearts. But with the help of his word and the help of his spirit, we need to do the hard work of examining ourselves as well. For Israel, the fall of Jerusalem was an opportunity for them to gain clarity on the egregious nature of their sin. I mean, we read it and we look back and say, how could they have done that? Well, they, they, they took the slow walk of apostasy step by step, inch by inch, until they completely had departed from the Lord. And one can't help but look back and say, boy, that could have at least been slowed down or stunted if they would have just stopped and examined their ways according to the law of God. And what's true nationally of Israel is true of us individually as well. For Israel, they needed to seek clarity on their sin specifically so they could repent of their sin. It's not just testing and examining our ways, the prophet says. He also says, and return to the Lord. They, they needed to know exactly where they had departed from the Lord so that in those areas they could return to the Lord. That is the essence of what it means to examine ourselves. We need to seek clarity in our lives so that we will know exactly where repentance is needed. 
And by the way, just as a side note, isn't it a kind gift of grace from the Lord that what was needed from Israel in that situation was merely repentance? I mean, th- think about it for a second. In this day and age, you say the word repent and people think, oh man, this guy's a legalist or something. <laughs> Repenting is just turning back, turning away from the sin, turn back to the Lord. God did not require recompense from Israel. God did not require repayments. Merely repentance is what God required. And doesn't that strike at the very heart of the gospel message that has saved us and we hold so dear? It's not that we can repay God. We can never do that. If that was the message of the gospel that you need to turn your life around so that you can pay back God for all those sins that you committed and then maybe you'll get to heaven, that would be awful. It's not good news. No, the good news is that the gospel is that Christ Jesus has died to pay for our sins. He's been raised from the dead with the power of newness of life so that if we'll turn away from our self-righteousness, we'll turn away from our sins and turn to Christ in faith, we will be saved by the free grace of God. It's not repayment, it's not recompense, it's simply turning to the God of grace. And what a kindness of the Lord that he has made a way for us to be saved where it merely requires repenting and believing. And the same faith and repentance that's necessary for salvation is necessary for us to continue to grow in our sanctification. That's why we need clarity about the sin in our lives. You need to know where your spiritual immaturities are so that the Lord can be working on those. You need to know where your common temptations are so that you can fight against those temptations. You need to know where those recurring sins in your life are so that you can head them off before you even go down that path. You need clarity on these issues and that's not always easily found which is what makes examination so important. Examination seeks clarity. By the way, it's not just clarity that examination is seeking out. Verse 41, if you'll notice, The examination of verse 41 makes it clear that examination also will root out hypocrisy in our our hearts. The the kind of self-deception and hypocrisy that is endemic to the fallen man, that's the kind of stuff we gotta root out of our lives. I mean, coming, coming to church and praising the Lord is good, but, and you should do that no matter what. You need to be here, but but, but the kind of hypocrisy that will, will serve the Lord on Sundays, but then throughout the week will reject the wisdom of the Lord and his word, that's the kind of hypocrisy that you're looking for. You may not even see it in your life, but that's the kind of hypocrisy that you're, you're looking for and you're trying to root that out of your life. That's why the prophet says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Here, here, Literally, we could translate this, let us lift up our hearts toward our hands. The idea here, the picture is, their hands were already up in worship. Externally, they were doing what a good Jew in that day was supposed to do. They were going to the temple. They were most likely praying every day as the siege went on, Lord, protect us from these Babylonian invaders. Certainly, they were fasting since there was no food in the city anyway. 
And yet they were hypocrites. On the outside, they did everything. King Zedekiah said, oh, bring the prophet here. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to hear what God has to say. And then when the prophet came and told him what the word of the Lord was, what did Zedekiah do? He ignored it. They were hypocrites. They thought, well, we're the people of God. (laughs) We're His covenant people. They presumed upon God's grace and His promises and just continued in their sins. They were self-righteous, self-deceived hypocrites. Which is why the prophet says we need to examine ourselves and through the process of this examination, we need to root out this hypocrisy so that our hearts, our true intention at its deepest core matches our external works of worship. People of Judah need a genuine faith, not religious formality. This is no time for hypocritical religion. They need to examine their hearts. They need to see their presumptuous hypocrisy. And they need to deal with it. And by the way, this kind of deadly spiritual self-deception is common not only in Jeremiah's day, it's common in our own day as well, isn't it? Look, it's easy to be self-deceived. That's why God has not designed for us to be Lone Ranger Christians running out on our own. We need other people looking in our lives because it's so easy to be self-deceived. I mean, we see this in all walks of life. You go to the playground and you see this guy who thinks he's the best basketball player out there who's laying bricks. You know, he can't make a bucket to save his life. Or we've all, not in this church, mind you, but in previous ministries, we've all heard that church soloist who maybe should have been singing a little lower, you know, quieter. (laughs) Why, it sounded great, right? Well, brother, have you listened to that, you know? It's easy to be self-deceived, isn't it? I mean, think even, think even of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Ha, have there ever been a people so self-deceived as people who would stare the Son of God in the face and argue with Him and, and accuse Him of sins and, and, and try to uh, 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 argue with Him about the interpretation of Scripture? Talk about self-deceived religious hypocrites. You say, I'm not a Pharisee. That you know of. <laughs> You examine your heart? Where are those areas of pride? Where's those pockets of hypocrisy? That's what this kind of examination is designed to root out, this kind of hypocrisy, the heart idols that you didn't even know existed. And also, by the way, as as you're seeking clarity on your life and rooting out hypocrisy, notice in verse 42 that, that the examination the prophet calls for here ultimately takes responsibility for sin. Verse 42 Here's what the prophet is trying to shepherd the people of Israel to say. Look, this needs to be your confession. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. Prophet's saying, look, when you examine yourself, you need to own the sin that you find. Don't excuse it. Don't you? The, the, the quickest way to dive deeper into sin and frustration is to excuse sin. The quickest way to deal with sin and, and receive God's grace for that sin is to confess it, to own it, to take responsibility for it. Judah acted against God's law. They transgressed it. And, and their hearts rejected the authority of God. They rebelled. 
And in this case, God did not pass over their national and generational sins. He punished them and sent them into the exile. That's, that's why it says, and you have not forgiven. The point is, that, is not that God never forgives. The point is that the people needed to admit that their situation was the result of their sin. That's the point. Upon examination, Judah needed to admit that their punishment, the fall of Jerusalem, the exile, it was the direct result of their own sin. That's what examination needs to drive you towards. That's the nature of examination. You're looking for clarity, and then when you you find clarity on what's going on in your heart, you're driving that hypocrisy out just like Jesus drove the hypocrites out of the temple. And when you see sin, You're not hiding it. You're not excusing it. You're owning it. You're confessing it. At its nature, that's what examination looks like. Examination seeks clarity, roots out hypocrisy, and takes responsibility for sin. That's the nature of examination. But notice also in verses 43 through 48, there's a second element of examination that we find in this passage. Here we learn about what we might call the focus of examination. Or maybe if you prefer, the extent of examination. If you like to double ease there. In other words, what are you supposed to be examining? What are you looking at? How, how far does this go? Well, verses 43 through 48 help us with that. And actually, these verses are really just an elaboration on what it meant when the prophet said that God had not forgiven the people. To paraphrase, the prophet's saying, we sinned, you punished us, and here's what that punishment looks like. And what we see is that the prophet is trying to shepherd the people of Israel, of Judah, to examine their own situation, their own circumstances, in light of their own sin. And notice how he, he starts here with their spiritual circumstances. As you're, as you're examining yourself, you, you examine your walk with the Lord in light of your sin. And in this case, the people of Israel needed to see that God's disposition towards them was directly related to their sin against God. You know, the people of Israel couldn't say, where was God when we needed him? Uh, He left us. No, they couldn't say that. Notice verse 43. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. As a result of their sin, they were under the judgment of God. They, They were immersed in the anger of God, in the wrath of God. By the way, This is true of every individual who rejects Christ. If you reject Christ, this is a description of your relationship with the Lord. You are immersed in the wrath of God, the holy wrath of God. And just as the people of Israel and Jerusalem were killed without pity by the Babylonians, you will endure unmitigated wrath and punishment in hell for all of eternity if you will not turn to Christ. This is something of what Judah was experiencing. Why? Because God was capricious and unfair and just decided to be mad at them? No. It's because they transgressed and rebelled. 
They were under God's judgment. Additionally, they were alienated from God because of their unrepentant sin. Verse 44, you have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Remember on Mount Sinai how there was a cloud around the mountain and the cloud actually protected the people from the presence of God. if, If they had been in the unmitigated presence of God, then they would have died instantly. This is taking that figurative, uh, taking that language and kind of making it figurative to say, look, God has so clouded his presence that you can't even pray to him. What's the point here? They were alienated from God. They, They were apart from God. God had made himself inaccessible to them relationally. Why? Because of their unrepentant sin. In fact, verse 45 goes on to say, you have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. The word scum here, uh, it, it's talking about what you sweep up. You sweep the floor, you got it in a little dustpan or whatever, what do you do with it? You throw it out. They, they were just swept up in the wrath of the Lord and thrown out. They were treated like garbage. What do you do with garbage? You throw it out. The people that had been the prized possession of the Lord amongst the nations had now been rejected for the Lord, by the Lord. Why? Their unrepentant sin. And all of this drives home the point that it's absolutely necessary for us to examine our lives because sin will affect our relationship with God in significant ways. Don't think that you can walk closely with the Lord and then nurture and hold on to this pet sin over here. Sin led to Judah being judged by the Lord, alienated by the Lord, and rejected by the Lord. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, those are realities that uh, will never be true for you if you're in Christ, but The principle remains the same. Sin will affect your walk with the Lord. You say, boy, I mean, I just, I don't know where the Lord's gone. I just had a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord and prayer and singing praise and my Bible study. I just don't sense it being there. (laughs) Well, have you examined your life to see what might be causing that? Where the weak faith is, it's leading to those feelings. Look, God hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't changed. If you're not enjoying the blessings of a close walk with the Lord, you need to examine yourself to see why. And and it's not, by the way, just your spiritual circumstances. it's, It's your whole life circumstances. Notice in in, in the next verses, the next stanza here, verses 46 through 48, how the prophet expands it. It's not just their relationship with the Lord and, and what we might call the, the, the spiritual aspect of their life that was affected by sin. It was everything. It was everything. Verse 46, all our enemies opened their mouth against us. In all likelihood, the enemies here, it's not referring to the Babylonians because it's plural. Most likely it's referring to all the other Gentile nations that were around him. The Babylonians came in and leveled the Jews and and what did the other Gentile nations come and do? They opened their mouths mocking them, laughing at them. Because of their sin, they became a conquered, subjugated, and mocked people. Verse 47, panic and pitfall have come upon us. 
Imagine after 18 month, an 18 month siege, gates finally breached, walls are coming down, the Babylonian army is invading the city. Can you imagine the absolute terror, the absolute terror those people would have felt as they saw their enemies running headlong toward them? You got 18 months of pent up rage in a Babylonian army who's known to be brutal already. That's the panic. That's the pitfall that's pictured here. It's devastation. It's destruction. They were terrorized. They were humiliated. They were decimated. Why? It's because of their sins. Verse 48, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. A continuous flow of water from my eyes that reflects an abiding sorrow in my heart. That's what the prophet's talking about. They became sorrowful, defeated. Why? Because of their sins. And all of this in principle is a stark reminder that sin has a very practical effect in our lives when we don't recognize it and address it. Look, God's not waiting to zap you when you do something wrong, but He's given His commands for a reason. And when you don't order your life according to God's commands, when the pattern of your life does not match the pattern of Scripture, you better believe that there are going to be practical consequences in your life. You're going to feel it. When you don't order and pattern your life after God's truth, it will impact your circumstances significantly. You say, man, I just, I just, don't, don't feel a lot of joy. There's not a, there, there's not a lot of spiritual benefit and blessing in our family life right now. I can't figure it out. Okay, well, have you examined your family life? Is your, is your family life ordered and patterned with the priorities of God's word in mind? The roles laid out in scripture for a husband and wife are, are, are those being upheld in your family? The, 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 the instruction we see in God's word on, on how to bring a child up in discipline are those being consistently enacted in your family's life? That's the kind of examination that we've got to go through. And it's not just in our family life. It's in every area of our life. There is not one moment of your day that is not under the lordship of Christ through the word of God. Not one aspect of your life the scripture is not allowed to speak into. And so when we have large sections of our life where where. Maybe it's, it's just we've never noticed it before, which, by the way, is why examination is so important. But we've never noticed it before, but we're not living this life with the same priorities that Scripture sets forth for us. You better believe that there are going to be consequences to that. The Babylonians may not come and knock down your fence and take over your house, but there will be significant effects of sin in your life. In fact, we often live with the consequences of sin and foolishness in our life simply because we haven't made the connection between an area of disobedience and then the, the consequences of that disobedience in our life. Man, I can't figure out why this is going on. Well, is that area of your life submitted to Scripture? Well, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Exactly. That's why examination is so important. We must be willing to focus our examination on every part of our lives to see if we are being hindered by our own sin in any place. That's what the prophet's calling the people to do. 
You look at your circumstances. You look at your relationship with our covenant God and you look at what happened when the Babylonians came through and it is all the result of our sin. You examine yourself. So, in this, we've seen something of the nature of examination, what, how it functions in our life. We've seen something of, uh, of the focus or the extent of examination for our entire lives. And that leads us to a third element of examination I want you to see in this passage. And it's this. The goal of examination. I, I want you from this text here just as the prophet is, is, is shepherding us through this issue, I want you to firmly grasp the goal of examination. See, we need to examine the condition of our hearts to see where we stand in relation to God's truth. We need to be able to do that. That should be a regular pattern of your life. We also need to examine the, the circumstances of our life to see if there are consequences of sin that we haven't recognized as to yet. We've got to do that. But understand that if this is as far as your examination goes, then it will fall short of the examination that we find in this passage. You see, the goal of this passage is not just to find the sin and find out how sinful you are. The goal of this passage, the goal of this examination, where the prophet is driving us toward is the grace of God. That's the goal. The goal of examination is to humble ourselves and draw near to God in every area of life. That's the goal. Let me say that again, because that's important. If you don't get this, you're gonna be in trouble, because you're just gonna constantly examine yourself, and every time I talk to you, I'm gonna get depressed, because I'm gonna hear about how bad you are and never hear about how good God is, okay? I don't want that, all right? I mean, if you feel that way, you should talk to me about it. I'm your pastor, I mean, okay. But you understand how you get yourself in trouble if you're so introspective that all you see is your sin and, and your examination never humbly drives you back to God's grace. It can become actually a source of pride. Boy, I've examined myself and I've found more sin than anyone else. Okay, whatever. I don't even know how you measure that, but whatever. No, 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 no. You find the sin, but you find the sin on the way to God's grace. Notice, notice how this works out in the prophet's thinking. Verse 49, my eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite. And this is tears from the fall of Jerusalem. It reflects the, the intensity and the duration of this sorrow. As long as I'm under the consequences of sin, I'm gonna be sorrowful over sin. Even in verse 51, my eyes cause me grief at the fate of the daughters of my city. That here he's talking about the grief is an internal grief. So you got the one verse, it's externally, I'm, I'm weeping on the outside. The grief in the other verse is talking about internally. My inner man and my outer man are consumed with grief and guilt over sin. What is the solution to such grief and guilt? Well, the answer is right in the middle in verse 50 until the Lord from heaven looks down and see. This is talking about the grace of God. This, this is alluding back to the ironic blessing of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. It's talking about God's grace. And the point of the prophet is, 
Look, this sorrow over sin, the the guilt and the grief over sin, it is going to continue until God's grace wipes it away. That's the goal. We're not just examining ourselves because we want to know more about ourselves. I don't want to know any more about myself than I have to. I'm completely uninteresting for one, and two, the deeper I go, the more I find sin. I don't want to know about myself for myself, but I do want to examine myself because it drives me in humility back to God's grace. By the way, I've told you over and over again about the connections between Lamentations and James. James was a good Jew. In all likelihood, he had, I think at least, as I read through it, some of Lamentations in mind and informing him as he wrote the book of James. But in James chapter 4, James is talking about, look, here's why you're fighting amongst yourself. He's helping them examine themselves, basically. And in James 4, 6, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Sound familiar? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is it. That's the goal of examination. The goal of examination is the same goal as God's discipline in our suffering. It's to drive us back to his grace. Spiritual examination is vital spiritual discipline in our life, especially in the midst of suffering. God designed suffering to produce a sanctifying change in us, and very often that sanctifying change comes when through suffering God reveals hidden things in our heart we didn't even know were there. And to get the most spiritual benefit out of our suffering and our trials, just as the prophet has shepherded us toward in this text, we must be willing to do the humble work of self-examination. We pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. And we pray for the kind of clarity that comes through examining our lives through the grid of your truth. Lord, give us the spiritual discipline we need by your grace to root out all the hypocrisy in our life and turn to you. Uh, whether that be as believers in you or maybe someone here who's lived as a hypocrite their whole life and never truly turned to Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for your work in that individual's life. We pray that you would open their heart to the truth so that they can see their sinfulness and the wonder of your grace. And Lord, as your children, we pray for us that you would continue to drive us back to your grace. Lord, let us draw near to you, humble ourselves, that rather than exalting ourselves, you might be the one to exalt us in your timing. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this guidance. There's no way in our own human wisdom we could have come up with any of these truths ourselves. So we thank you for this guidance on how to deal with suffering. 
We pray in Christ's name, amen.